Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, lax rats alike, welcome back to another episode of The Crease Dive. Today is Thursday, May 5th. Conference tourney season is upon us. It all gets going later this afternoon at 1 p.m. as St. Joe's takes on LIU. I'm Jordy from Barstool. With me, as always, we've got Dukes on the mic, and we're also bringing back everyone's favorite guest, He's our resident nerd from the Ivy. He's the people's commissioner of the Ivy League and uh, pr- pretty, pretty decent, pretty decent dude uh, to boot. We've got Larkin Kemp with us again this week. So, boys, how are we feeling as we enter this first full weekend of the postseason? Larkin, take it away. You're our guest. Uh, I'm just incredibly excited, boys. Like, I don't think there's anything better on the planet than May Lacrosse. We got an unbelievable slate of games. When you add the, the kind of incremental fact that Brown's hosting and, you know, since we last chatted when, when Brown was kind of dead and gone on a three-game slide, you know, they're arguably the hottest team in lacrosse other than Maryland. So I'm on cloud nine. Uh, the people's goalie, who's really my guy, um, I feel like I've kind of been a part of his origin story, was just voted uh, Ivy League goalie of the year. So it's just a great day here um, and really, really excited to uh, ship up to Providence and be there in person. I, he didn't say anything that I can't echo. Um, May, May lacrosse is when it starts turning up, all eyes are on the sport. You got the momentum going into the PLL season, going into Memorial Day weekend. So it's just an exciting time to be a lacrosse fan. I said in the last episode, it's the time to get your friends' eyes on the TV. If they're not a lacrosse fan, it's time to get them to be a fan. So I'm excited for this weekend. It's going to be a great slate of games. Um, before we even get going, I do want to issue a quick apology or – I think an apology. I'm not, I'm not like that. Sorry about it since we're bad with names anyway, but apparently we've been uh, pronouncing the people's goalies last name incorrectly this whole time. I, I, I've been big on the Thoreau pronunciation. Apparently it is a uh, Terrio. The thing about the people's goalie, he's who we need him to be. Like I, in my mind, he has no last name. He's a representative of like the consortium of players who never made it to the D one like level based on body type. And he is that guy. So he can be whoever you want to be. Like, he's, a goalie. like he's just, he's the man. Like I, I'm all in on this kid. All right. Well, first name people's last name goalie. Uh, but just for, uh, you know, Mrs. People's goalie out there for, for, for his mom, just Terrio, maybe, I guess. Uh, yeah. Got to, got to keep, got to keep the moms happy in, uh, in May, especially this weekend. Happy mother's day to all the moms out there and uh, make sure you guys send a special one to yours. I'm no pronunciator. I'm no pronunciator by any means. I think everybody knows that, but you could give me a hundred guesses to ha- how to pronounce that last name. And I would have never guessed Terrio. It's yeah. a great name. Like that's a great sports name. No Little doubt Terrio. about Shout out. Little yeah. Terrio. Yeah. Just, just seems like a, I, I don't know. I was going with the, the real hockey French Canadian Thoreau vibe there. Uh, but apparently I was, I was wrong. Um, but you know, I, I might have been wrong about that pronunciation, but Larkin, I mean, this is this is your time to take an, another victory lap about how correct you were about the Ivy from the get-go this year. Uh, as we head into this Ivy League tournament, um, I mean, there, there were five, six teams all, all fighting for those top four spots to get into the tournament. Um, you know, unfortunately, Dartmouth, better, better luck next year, guys. Uh, but either way, I mean, just six, insane teams in the Ivy this year. We, it comes down to four in the conference tournament, but there's still very much a, uh, a discussion and argument to be made that at least five teams should be making it into the NCAA tournament, especially uh, if you're a nerd who trusts the computer more than your eyes and go straight for the RPI. Uh, but 
you know, Larkin, you, you said right from the jump that the Ivy, uh, they were going to be hungry, they were going to be dangerous, and they were going to get after it early and often this year. Everything that you said seems to have come true. So, uh, you know, one, how, take your victory lap on on Brown, but also, you know, again, just uh, with, with how how much of a yeah, gauntlet no, I, this, this Ivy's been. I appreciate it, boys. And, I mean, like, what a remarkable season. I think front to back, I think you could argue the – most talented and most complete uh, top-down league perhaps we've ever seen in our conference. Candidly, I work in the entertainment business. If you would pitch this script where you say, we're going to have Princeton beat Georgetown and Rutgers in a span of seven days, and they're not going to make the Ivy tourney two months later, I think the director would have been like, that's crazy. Like, that'll never fly. Like, the way in which this all played out, to have Princeton on the outside looking in when many people think they're the most talented team in the conference, to have a young Harvard team surging in the sixth position who has a very valid argument mathematically. If you take the logo away, when you talk about the NCAA bubble um, and then all four teams that are going to be up in Providence this weekend, seems like all of them are going to be tough outs in the tournament. Um, you know, what an unbelievable opportunity, you know, all eyes on Providence. And I think those games Friday night, you know, winners guarantee, you know, a top five seed in my mind, top six seed and right to host a team on their you know home campus in the NCAA tournament. So just what a remarkable season. Really proud of the coaching staff. The kids can't say enough about, um, you know, the hand they were dealt and, and how unfortunate it was and for them to stick together and come back and make the type of statement they have. I mean, for all the ACC stands in the world to be crying on Twitter and, you know, wherever they cry about the math and the RPI, like give some credit to those kids. Like they went 37 and 10, I think, out of conference, beating up on some of the best teams in lacrosse. Like, if you want the RPI to look different, like when you're out of conference games and the Ivy league did. So credit to them and, you know, credit to all the boys and, and the senior leaders. Dude, you got anything over there? What to respond? Am I, wait, was that, or, about, or, I don't know. I, I, I still fucking hate the RPI. I think the RPI is bullshit this year. I, I really do. I mean, I get the argument. I get the way that you, you're saying that it helps the Ivies this year compared to the, the ACC, when the, it usually helps the ACC in every other year, I get. But I just don't see a world where Duke right now, and I'm a big beginning of the season kind of throw out the window. I don't really believe in February lacrosse, and I get that you have to win your games in February. But it's just hard for me to sit here and be like, Duke wouldn't wouldn't compete or beat all the Ivy Leagues right now. Yeah, but that's just not the, the selection committee's job. So, like, let's take Duke. By the way, I think Duke is a phenomenal team. I do not want Brown to draw them in the first round if they get in. Let's take Duke's losses. Did Duke lose to Loyola and Jacksonville? Okay. Yeah. Now let's look at Harvard's losses. Harvard lost to Ohio State on the road. Yale and OT on the road. Cornell on the road. And Penn on the road. They also beat Princeton and Brown. Like, if you go team by team and actually work through the bubble and take away the logos, take away the eye test, because that's not the job of the committee. If you actually look at the math, like Duke and Notre Dame, unfortunately, put themselves in this, this position. Like there's no one to blame but themselves. Like if you actually look at Notre Dame's losses, they're all phenomenal. I get that argument. They lost to Georgetown, Notre Dame, uh, sorry, uh, Georgetown, Maryland, Ohio State, right? But who did they beat? Like who was their best win? No, well, let's not let's Notre not sleep Dame, on Detroit Mercy. Yeah, and Notre Dame does this. Like I, I said this on the last episode that we had, where I actually understand why Notre Dame is on the. It's unfortunate that they're on the bubble, but they do this every year where they don't schedule that many games. It feels like 
and you lose one or two of these games and you could find yourself in a shitty spot, especially this year when the Ivy was dominating, especially out of conference play. Totally. And what people need to understand, like this is a system, this is a mathematical algorithm that has protected the ACC and blue bloods everywhere for decades. Like if you are a Patriot league team, if you are a CAA team, you can't schedule hard enough games to ever be in the conversation of having a top 20 strength of schedule. No one will play you. Like there is a reason that when North Carolina went eight and six in 2016, they were able to get hot late and win the NCAA 2A championship. It's because of this exact RPI system that all the ACC fans are now complaining about. Like it's just math. At the end of the day, this is math. It's not anything other than that. And let's take football, a sport we all know and love. I think we can all agree that there's times where like a two or three loss SEC West team, you could argue is like the third best team in football. Does that mean that they belong in the college football playoff? Hell no. You got to beat Bama. You got to beat Georgia. You got to win the SEC to go. And if you don't, you need to have one loss, period. Like the ACC teams did this to themselves. Uh, Honestly, I think it's crazy to even have the conversation. I I think that this has become this like, you know, like revenge of the nerds and like everyone's like the Ivy league, they're going to fail. People think back to like the Drexel pen game and you know, the Ivy doesn't have any precedent for beating teams in the tournament. Like a, that's not the selection committee's criteria. So like, it doesn't matter. And B Yale won the national championship in 2018. It's like, I don't even really know what that means. Can I don't I, know. Can I make a quick, I, I just want to make a, a quick confession. I actually don't know I, I don't hate the RPI for any other reason besides the fact that it's just like math and computers and I don't know how it's formulated. Like that's the only reason why I actually hate it. And like looking at the RP, like I think a lot of it besides like I, I'm, I'm always going to be down on Rutgers until they prove me otherwise. And that means that I'm always going to be down on Rutgers until the day I die. Um, so like the fact that they're so high up there yeah. doesn't make sense to me, but like everything else like looks about right on the RPI, like as like maybe like a, a few minor adjustments here and there. I just love to shit on it because it's, it's made by computers and I, you know, we're, we're going to get overtaken by them one day. And I'd rather be like on this side of history now, instead of having to, to flip flop once, you know, the Terminator shit goes down. Um, but like, no, like I, I, it does suck for like the, the, you know, so some of those mid major conferences, like you're, like you said, like they're never going to be in a position where they have to run the table. Where, where, they have where, to where, win where their conference. Yeah, where that's going to help them out. At the same time, realistically speaking, like is a mid major going to be that much of a threat in uh, in in May? Not necessarily. Oh, like so- I, I mean, maybe like if if we're talking about like like is 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 the Patriot League is is that, but. Patriot League's like, okay, fins up. Jacksonville will run the table this year. Yeah. You can make the argument that, like, maybe when Loyola won in 2012, like, that was like Patriot League, I guess, a bit of a mid major. So, like, they, they were. Patlax is mid major, I think. Yeah. They're like right on the bubble, I would consider them. Um, but, but either way, what I'm getting at here is like, yeah, it sucks for some of those teams um, in, in some shittier conferences that, like, the the RPI is always going to get some of these team these teams with more losses in the ACC into the tournament more, but at the end of the day, it's like yeah, well, those are the teams that are going to be playing in those last two weekends of the season. The the most interesting part of this conversation is the ACC's internal decision to stop their conference tournament. 
the ACC decided that they'd rather rest and play out of conference cupcakes like Virginia playing Lafayette and then rest for 10 days to get Matt more healthy. Okay. And they made a personal decision to not play a semifinal and an ACC final that could have boosted their strength of schedule. So it's more just fascinating. It's like an actual strategy argument, right? Where this is the one year they needed it. Every other year they typically don't need it. And it looks brilliant to cancel the tournament. Or maybe the ACC, they're a little less selfish than the Ivy League, and they're saying to themselves, "Okay, like Lafayette, like you guys are an up and coming program. Like yeah, let's give you a good, let's give you a little boost in your strength of schedule. We'll get you on the tail end. We're probably going to be resting some of our guys for the tournament. This is a good chance for you guys to come in and, and get a good win under your belt." And it's a, like it's not their fault that Lafayette didn't step up to the challenge. So Lafayette's usually a good team here, and you're out. Like it, it honestly though, it, it seems like the Ivy league, they're, they're elitist at the end of the day, and they're not going to play anyone like Lafayette at the end of the season to help them in. They only care about themselves. They're going to beat themselves up. Um, and I, I don't know. It, it's just, it, it, it looks, all I'm saying is it, it just, it looks that way. Okay. That's what people are saying. I'm not the one saying it. It just looks like the Ivy league being typical elitist. This also isn't a, I hate how it's turning into an Ivy versus ACC thing. Cause it's, we've been high on the Ivies. We've been saying how right you were all year. So this is an Ivy versus ACC thing. This is an ACC versus big 10 thing. Like the big 10 yeah. getting, getting three teams in is more bullshit to me than the, the ACC getting three, uh, three teams. in. like, I would like the I like the argument that if Rutgers loses to Ohio State, who the fuck did they beat all year? Like they have the twenty fourth, what is it, twenty fourth strength of schedule? Like who did, who did they play all year where they deserve to be top top six in the RPI in my opinion? That's yeah, where no. like that's where I start struggling with the RPI. Like do I think the like even like I'm not even that. This is like I think Penn could be the most talented. I you're talking talent wise on a roster the most talented team in, in my opinion that's what i think i even was like i really don't know how you put them into the tournament but i mean you can't deny it because of the rpi i fucking hate how we're talking about ohio state and Rutgers, as that's who i think is going to get upset in the first round to the drexel like you're talking about like people being scared of the ivies i don't know why twitter is turning this into an ivy versus acc thing when everyone should f- turn their attention to the i uh to the acc versus the big 10 because that's the biggest bullshit. Um, the only reason probably Ohio State is in, obviously, over Notre Dame is because of that win in South Bend. But I don't know. I just think it's it's very frustrating to watch, especially as a Notre Dame fan, that Notre Dame playing their best ball on a hot streak, Pat Cavs out of his mind. They got that, the best goalie in the nation. I'm sorry. Sorry to the people's goalie. They got the, Notre Dame has the best goalie in the nation. Noted. Uh, Fuel to the fire. It did it. Look, all, if if, he, if, uh, if Terrio goes on a master class in this tournament, I motivated him. It's all I could do. But yeah, I, I it's just it's frustrating to see Duke's offense seems like it's clicking. Notre Dame's playing their best ball, and one of those teams is going home. Like that's frustrating to watch. It's probably a little bit more frustrating because right now it looks like it's going to be Notre Dame. If it happens to be Duke, I don't give a fuck. Honestly, like Duke is always in the tournament. They had a shit out of conference schedule. I wouldn't care if it was Duke that missed the tournament. I'm mostly just arguing for three teams in the uh, ACC because I want to see Notre Dame play. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, you guys are making all the right points. Like, if we had the top 20 coaches in college lacrosse make a list of who they'd like to play least in the first round, Maryland's the obvious one. 
Georgetown, depending who you want to put us to, there's a very real chance that some of the ACC programs being references on the bubble this year are very close behind because of the talent, because of what we talked about. But the reality is like, that's just not the committee's job. And, and uh, Dukes nailed it. There was a couple of very specific results that flipped the math between ACC, Big Ten, and Ivy. One of them is what happened at Arlotta. Ohio State, after losing to Cornell, going to Arlotta and beating Notre Dame, has created like a trigger, a wave of math that has kind of continued to compound, right? That's how all this stuff works. Like Princeton beating Rutgers, Rutgers somehow, because they candidly have a lot of easy cupcakes on their schedule, kind of has this like inflated um, win-loss and they've lost to the right people. So it isn't, beat, you know, weighing them down. And it's all these things we talk about. So listen, no one wants to like game plan for the Kavanaugh twins or Brennan O'Neill. Like we can all admit that nobody wants them. But the reality is, I think a lot of people are hoping that that's a playing game. And the, when you look at the actual math, it would be more surprising than not if the committee makes an argument to get them both in. Like, I, I would be very surprised and candidly fascinated about the interview during the selection show. Typically, the head of the committee comes on when he talks about if the loser of that game, if Duke loses or if Notre Dame loses, when he talks about giving them an at-large, I'll be very fascinated uh, by the argument. You know, we had Chris Jast on last last week, and he was saying how the RPI has been a little stinky this year and hasn't been as like fortified as it has in years past. And he's saying it might be like a COVID thing. He was going, he was saying that, but he was basically saying that the committee could not throw away the RPI, but could not, might not use it as it has in the past. It might rely a little bit more on the eye test. So what do you have to say about that? If that yeah, no question. I mean, listen, there's, there's countless examples of it's like, typically the RPI is incredibly helpful for seeding. Like you, you kind of handle a lot of the easy teams. So like, take the eight teams that you know are going to be in the tournament, right? It's all the automatic qualifiers, right? It's, it's the teams who are just like wagons and somehow, uh, you know, get either bid thiefed or uh, ultimately, like if you play Maryland, right? If there's like a wagon who's the two seed behind a Maryland type team. So like some of the Ivies as an example this year are going to be in. Where, where the eye test and where the human factor and head to head and location, I think I brought this up with you before. One of the bullet points is location. They try and limit, uh, travel to 400 miles and they try and only use two private charters. That is a huge piece of this. Okay. And that ultimately like shapes these decisions, all everything I just referenced. So yeah, there's no question that there's going to be some funky seating and there's going to be teams that probably are like in the 10 range who get seated in like the 14 range or vice versa. Um, like one example would be this. I could easily see them sending either Princeton to Rutgers or Rutgers to Princeton because it's close. Right. I could see them if BU runs the Pat League. I could see BU being sent to Brown just because it's an hour away, even though candidly, I'm not sure Brown's deserved that. Like they might deserve a tougher matchup. Right. So there's all of those things that come into play and they do every year. Um, mm -hmm. That's fair. So I, I think yeah. easy, easy way to fix that. Um, Joe Sai, I know that you're, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're pretty. You're pretty liberal with the uh, with the checkbook. You can just uh, write write the. I mean, I hate putting money in the NCAA's pocket, but if you could just fund the tournament and then just send teams wherever they need to go, and then that way that way no travel restrictions necessary. So, um, shout out to the Las Vegas Desert Dogs, by the way. Um, all right, but listen, I, I mean, again, I I think Dukes, I'm I'm glad that you brought up that point where like. 
I don't, we don't hate the RPI because of Ivy league versus ACC. We just yeah. hate the RPI because it's going to help out the big 10 where we don't think that the big 10 deserves any help. If anything, I think just, just find a way to get us two SoCon teams into the I, tournament. That's all I, I really care about. I don't care. I don't care. Two SoCons, if, as many IVs as we can. I don't care if there's four IVs in, five IVs in. I don't really care if there's two ACC teams in. I just think that if there's going to be two ACC teams in, it should be Virginia and Notre Dame. Like that's, that's where it comes down to for me. Like I, I will argue my way into anything just to get Notre Dame into the tournament. But there's, At, only, one, there's only one guy to blame. It's Kevin Corrigan. He's incredibly conservative in his scheduling. Yeah. He just doesn't schedule enough games. Like Notre Dame is unquestionably better than their math, like their output. Yeah. If they kept playing games, like if the season was longer, exactly. They would, no question, be like a top four seed probably. They're arguably like the third best team in lacrosse. But the reality is like they only played 13 games. Is that right? Like yeah, they're, they're always on four. the low end. They're, yeah, right? they're, they're always they're always like one or two games behind everybody else. That's why that's why I said I understand why they're on the bubble. And maybe, maybe this, maybe you're exactly right. And I'm, I'm mad at the wrong, wrong person right now, but I, you, you being the math guy here out of all of us, if hear me out, if Rutgers loses 18 to 12 to Ohio state, would they be on the bubble? There's just a whole bunch of things that are going going to go into it. They, I, I would define Rutgers. All of these teams are on the bubble. I would include Brown on the bubble. I would include Penn on the bubble. Some of them are just like sooner to come off the bubble, right? I, so the bubble to me is incredibly large. It's that entire bulk of teams from six in the RPI to about like fourteen, right? Mm-hmm. And. And depending, obviously, on what happens, I mean, there's a couple of, like, huge moments, right, in all this. I think the first nail in the Notre Dame coffin or the ACC coffin in terms of the three bids was Princeton missing the Ivy League tournament. I I think one of the easiest outs for the selection committee would have been if Princeton had beaten Cornell and hosted, they would have only let in four Ivies, and the out would have been, regardless of the math, it would have been whoever missed. You weren't good enough to make your conference tournament. You're not good enough to make the big tournament. Like that's a, that's a corporate line that gets used all the time. in some of the other selection shows, like I've seen it used in like the NCAA hockey and yeah. the basketball stuff. Like if you're not good enough to play in the big East, you're not going to, you know, like that, that type of thing. Um, so I, I think that was like a really bad luck moment for the ACC because Princeton missing, they're still going to get in because they're third in RPI. Right. Yeah. And now it becomes way harder, especially depending on who wins this Friday. If like say Brown wins, I mean, they're not going to miss obviously. And if Yale or Cornell, I mean, they're going to host. So it's, it, to me, it, that was, was nail number one. And then obviously the other big thing that everyone's watching out for is bid thieves. Like if Denver. Bill Tierney pulls a rabbit out of his hat and beats Georgetown at Georgetown, the ACC is dead and dusted. Said it once, said it twice. I'll say it at least several dozen times again, the big East Tom Fullery is always a foot in the big East tournament. Here's, they here's my question. They do it every year. Here's my question with that. So if there's a bid stealer from the Big East, whether it's Nova or Denver, whoever it might be, would it steal a bid away from the ACC and the ACC only gets one team in, or do you think it steals from the Ivy? I, I, I just think it tightens the bubble. You can't think of the bubble as this like conference-based like slot. It's not like horse racing where you like load the horse in and it's kind of like conference-based. It, it just literally takes a bit away from the bubble. When you actually do bubble math, like what I always picture, you guys know old school when Frank is like debating, 
Jim Carver when he's like yeah. just yelling nonsense. Yeah. Like someone has to go into this round table and argue why Duke or Notre Dame or whoever deserves to be over. Like to me, the only teams you could argue those teams in over are Ohio state and Harvard based on who's on the bubble. Now, I don't think you can make any form of argument, right? Okay. Here's an example. We want to talk about Penn Penn beat Duke in long Island. We, we, we can't let them in over them, right? Head to head matters. Like it, it just, it becomes really hard to justify like Princeton. Okay. They beat Georgetown. Like there's all these things to me. So the bubble, I think the last four teams on the bubble in my mind are in, in no particular order, Duke, Notre Dame, Ohio state, Harvard. I personally think there's no way six Ivies get in. So I just think Harvard's in a really bad luck scenario, even though their math actually looks pretty good. So if a bid thief occurs, now you just lose a spot. It's the same teams, and now only one of them's getting in instead of two, right? Yeah, and and I know it's it is only lacrosse, but when you're talking about like the the art, do you not think to some degree where they're trying to get more eyes on the on the sport on these TVs on ESPN that they wouldn't be like, well, Duke Duke or even Notre Dame have a bigger fan base, have a bigger reach, have more money maybe than these Ivy League teams, so maybe it is just better for us as a corporation to put two teams in the ACC on the screens. Yeah. Listen, it probably is in terms of impressions. Like you've, you've hit all the correct points, like in terms of like media ratings and lift and merch and all that stuff, they still need to have an argument. What is that argument? Are they going to say that on the advisory regional poll that Notre Dame was like one so that they just had to put them in? I guess they could. I yeah. Mean, I don't know. If, I don't know like, how much yes, it really does. There, let me put it this way, Dukes. It would be, for people who like study the bubble, like there's like those nerds out there who just love bubble analysis. This would be a shocking inclusion if both get in. Like it's, and this is not me trying to create drama. Like it is literally going to be shocking to people who have done this for decades if they concoct an argument to get them both in. Dukes, I, I think you just said the part that you're, you're not supposed to say out loud. Like you just said the quiet part out loud. Like I, I that makes total sense. Probably will end up happening. And because here's what I was also thinking is, you know, to the hardcore lacrosse fans that like, you know, listen to the pods, do the bubble talk, do the bubble analysis. They'll be outraged, but that's a quiet 1%. Not a quiet, but like they're loud on lax Twitter, but it's a, it's a 1%. To the common person, they'll see Duke gets in and they're like, oh, that's okay. Yeah. And then you'll be like, well, like they lost to Penn and they might just be like, yeah, that was just an early season loss. Like that's, I don't, I, I, I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm just saying I wouldn't be shocked if the NCAA did something shady and like did something that was fucked up. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time uh, to your point. I wouldn't be, sh- I wouldn't be stunned by the way. We haven't touched on it. Mark Emmert. See you later. Enjoy retirement. Bozo. <laughs> One of the all time takedowns for the boys, obviously probably had no impact, but just being on the right side of history there means, means the world to me. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, it, to be honest with you, boys, I think it's going to be a, like remarkable television, the selection show. I mean, you're talking about some of the blue bloods of the world getting left at home, right? And and, and for it to be these kind of like pipsqueak type teams that do it to them, it's just <laughs> makes me chuckle. It also well, is, it is sick. It's so sick that we do have Notre Dame versus Duke for basically a playing game, like tournament starting. Yeah, this, 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 correct. That So that was the spin zone that I wanted to bring up to me this has actually created this like incredibly fascinating atmosphere around two games, Ohio state Rutgers, right. 
because no one's beating Maryland, obviously, in that conference tournament. No. But that semifinal is, like, massive for tournament implications. And then Notre Dame-Duke, I mean, that's going to be a madhouse. Is that in South Bend? I mean, that when was the last no. time those yes, two yes. teams – when was the last time those two teams played for this much in the sense of like, you could argue this is like the season. I mean, this is the equivalent oh, of like when they played the 20, 2010. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Title. This is like literally like when Perk went off for five goals in like eight minutes in the fourth quarter. Like this is going to be an unbelievable lacrosse atmosphere. I'm sure that, that, you know, the, all the stars will play well. Cavi will put in a ton. O'Neill will rise to the occasion. That matchup with Cohen will be phenomenal. So, you know, the good news, and that's like the, the real spin zone. The good news is it, you could argue it's just like expanding the bracket. It, no, it is. It, it's basically, you could basically, we'll look back if they don't both make the tournament. And lacrosse people will be like, no, we know they did make the tournament. One team went home a week early. Right. Um, real, real quick. Our lot is going to be, our lot is going to be bumping, sun, by the way. I just don't, I don't want that to get lost. Sun, sun, Sunday in South Bend, it'll be, uh, it'll be 67 degrees, mostly like perfect. Saturday. No, they play on Sunday, don't they? Inside Lacrosse has it Saturday, May 7th. Um, Ivy final Sunday. Ivy final Sunday. So is the uh, – so, all right. Well, all right. Well, either way. All right. So that's – I just want to make right. sure the weather's right. You're right. You're right. You're right. All right. So hold up. Weather report. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a weather guy. I'm not a weather <laughs> guy, but uh, according to weather.com. All right. So 62 degrees. Again, just great day drinking at our lot of weather the will oh. the hill's gonna be bumping um all right so larkin you, you already mentioned how the selection show is going to be some primetime television on sunday uh but let's talk about some more great entertainment that'll be coming our way we're gonna start off with with the friday games because i know that that's what everyone's here to listen to we're gonna we'll work our way back around to the games that are happening later today uh the thursday slate of games and all the conference semifinals but real quick let's just Let's just get right after it with the Ivy League semifinals. They start Friday at 6 p.m. You've got Cornell taking on Yale, uh, all these games being hosted in Providence. Uh, Larkin, uh, on scene, yes, no? Absolutely. for the world. There's literally yeah. nothing that could come across my calendar to get me away from this stadium. The, the fact that it was even a question to begin with, uh, that, that's on me. Hand up, my bad. That's a, that's a dash one on, on my stat sheet. Uh, but we've got Cornell and Yale, 6 p.m. So the first time that these two teams met, and this is something that we say all the time, it is always difficult to beat the same team twice in one year, especially when we're talking about a conference that's so tight uh, like the Ivy League. So first matchup, it was a 13 to 12 win for Cornell chase Erlin with 18 saves on the day. Uh, this was a game that came down to that final possession. Uh, I think that, pretty sure that was the same weekend as was that the same weekend as Princeton uh, Penn, that overtime game. I think that there were, there were three games in the Ivy that, that weekend yep. that all came down yes. to that. Opening weekend. that yep. To that final possession. Uh, Cole Kirst had four goals for Cornell. So, uh, you know, one goal win for Cornell earlier in the season. Do you boys see the Connor Busick keeping this train rolling and getting it done again against Matt Brandell and the Bulldogs? You want me to go first, Dukes? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, this is a fascinating matchup, guys. I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. I, let, let me start by saying Andy Shea deserves benefit of the doubt in the Ivy tourney. His record at coming in as like the two, three uh, or three seed on the road and ended up winning it is, is spectacular. With that being said, what is fascinating about this matchup to me, so Yale traditionally is actually a defensive-oriented group. The, the strength of their team over the past decade has been slide recover under Cliff Baxter and 
when you think about Ty Warner and Mark Lassini and some of the unbelievable short stick D mids they've had uh, supported by really, really good close defensemen. That is not the strength of this Yale group, this Yale team. And I, you know, I watched the whole game uh, against Harvard. They're giving up goals in bunches. I mean, they're losing games, giving up really high scores. The strength of this team is Matt Brown out and their explosive um, young offense. Okay. So when I go to the tail of the tape and I try and patch together what I think is going to happen against Cornell. Now we look at Cornell Cornell is remarkably up and down specifically over the last month. They kind of had that slump encapsulated by kind of a, a couple of beatdowns at home against army and Brown. And then I thought through 15 minutes against Princeton at Princeton on a day that was supercharged with energy because uh, Princeton's women's coach has been there for like a hundred years is retiring. Absolute madhouse. They looked as good as anybody all year. They were buzzing. So it's really hard to kind of nail down specifically what that offensive group will look like for Cornell. So I'm going to, the way I'm going to simplify this and ultimately make my prediction, I'm going to go to one matchup. Yale drives through Matt Brandau. Cornell has a guy by the name of Gavin Adler, who I think is a shoe in to be in the Schmeister conversation is as good as any close defenseman in the country. And to me, if you can neutralize Brandau and force some of these young kids, Johnson, Lyons, all these other guys to beat you, you got a really good chance of success. I think for that reason, based on the fact that Vegas sees this to a degree as like a coin flip, I see it as a slight edge to Cornell. I'm taking Cornell 15-12 with an empty netter late. It's tough to it's it's tough to argue against the reasoning and the breakdown. But like you said earlier in your argument, I just don't like to bet against Andy Shea, especially in May. He lost a close one earlier in the year. The way that Yale the way that Yale came out fired up against Harvard, and you know they both go through the ups and downs. My my thing is why I would take Yale. Cornell played probably their best ball all year last week, and at some point, I feel like in the last month especially, they're going to have to return back to the median. I think that's the right term. Um, they're going to have to return back to the normal. I don't really like the ball that they were playing over the past month. I was kind of down on them. I kind of have to stick to my bones. I bought Yale early when everyone was out on them on Penn State. They lost to Penn State. So this is just more like an ego thing. I, I have to take Yale. I sold Cornell a couple of weeks ago. I bought Yale early at the beginning of the year. So I'd be a fraud if I now decided to take Cornell. So this is really just an ego thing for me. Um, I'm taking Yale. I think that Brandau is probably – I think he's – I saw, I saw this graph today where it was showing just – how, how much far, how far and away he's been as an offensive threat, especially in the country. It, he should be the top three in the Touraton race right now. And it's just nobody's talking about it. So um, I'm going, I'm going. Brand oh, he's, he's very good. Yeah. I'm and going, by the way, everything you said about Chase, totally correct. It's, Yale is the safe pick. Like they deserve that. They've had the, the postseason success. There's no question that they could make me look like an idiot. I just more mean in terms of matchup design. I think Yale would have preferred anybody else in this tournament to draw in Cornell in the first round because of 77 and Ithaca, who's just a grown man. Like he is a monster. Yep. And I will say, I will say this. It doesn't matter who wins this game because the winner of the other games winning the Ivy. Wow. I love that out of you. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, Dukes, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna pretty much just piggyback on everything that you said right there. Um, you know, I I I I know that they've missed the past two years as as of all the rest of the Ivy, but I still think that Yale has that a little bit more of that pedigree. Um I mean, so but it, 
I, I do think it comes down to the kind of what Larkin was like, you're number two. So, you know, if, if you figure that Adler and Brandal, you call that a wash. And then what you probably put Chris fake on Piatelli at, at Cornell. That's probably a, a bit of a wash. Um, so then it just comes down to, yeah, I mean, either Chris Lyons or, or cursed for Cornell, like wh- whoever can uh, kind of step up and, and be the guy to, you know, win that second matchup for that offense. Cause I, you know, I, all these Ivy league games this year, they, I feel like they've all been high scoring. They've all been close. So, it, you know, if, if you can, if you can get your second guy to get hot um, now, who knows? I mean, maybe this is just one of those games where either Piatelli goes bananas or, or Brandau goes bananas. And that, that uh, you know, that matchup with their top defender doesn't really mean as much. Um, I'm trying to look at the score right now though. I'm, I'm trying to think about how high on the Brandau family I'm going to be because uh, Chris Brandau has uh so he he transferred to Dickinson College uh this year so he's playing a little D3 ball and they are currently as we are recording this right now playing Meyer Sinus College Bears in the Centennial Conference uh semifinals so if Dickinson takes down her sinus uh with Chris Brandell between the pipes I'm gonna hate the Brandell family so then I, I have to go Yale um so for right now I'm going Yale unless you know, I can go back in here and edit this out if Dickinson beats her sinus in the Centennial Conference semifinals, and hey. I'm I'm hammering Cornell. So that's that's my pick on that one. Uh, I have moving- one more note. One yeah, more note on this game. It, with, the, with the respect to coaching, Patriots guy here. I've always said I hate when when it comes down to matchups. If I'm unsure, you know, you got the Rams versus the Patriots. Who are you taking? I look at it down to this: Belichick versus like a first year head coach in McVay. So I just think. At the end of the day, Shea will be able to game plan better than Busick will. Will Busick be able to game plan better in five years? Possibly. I think his future is very bright. But for right now. Oh, listen, it, that's the safe pick. It's like I referenced. I think Busick is up to the challenge. But there's no questions. Shea deserves the edge there. Two other matchups to look at, obviously, the dot and then goal. Specifically, uh-huh. these are two programs, in my opinion, have had like up and down goaltending. If 100%. Either, if either guy can rise to the occasion, that could easily be the difference in, in a one or two goal game. And then the last thing, obviously you got to stay out of the box. No stupid penalties, you know, as, as the, you know, the field Titans, there's this expression in playoff hockey, obviously you just got to stay out of the sim bin, man. Like that's how you, you know, lose big games late. Yeah. I think that I wasn't impressed with Yale's goalie. Um, I don't call out names and they don't play well, but I'm not impressed with Yale's goaltending, but that, that is a very fair point. I love the over in this one. The, the over could be 42 and a half and I take it. Uh, looks like that is going to be, wait, no, I, I, I have the wrong, wrong lines up. So who knows? Uh, but yeah, hit, hit the over on that one. Uh, and then on to the game of the week. I mean, just drop whatever you are doing. If you had any plans to begin with, cancel them right now, because at eight 30 on Friday night, your ass is going to be parked on your couch. Or if you're close enough to Providence, you're going to make the drive out there. 8.30 opening face-off. We've got the Brown Bears hosting the tournament, and they've got a matchup against Penn, who sneaks in there as the four seed. Uh, earlier in the season, these two teams met up, and this is when Brown, the backs were against the wall. Season was pretty much on the line, coming off of three straight losses. Brown needed a, a get-right game, and they needed it fast, and they got it against Penn. They came away with a 12-10 to 10 win, uh, and, and that was after being down five goals in the first quarter. So uh, come from behind, pretty much season on the line. 
they they turn around and then ever since uh, they haven't looked back and they've been playing some of the best ball outside of Maryland out of anyone in the nation. So uh, Larkin, this this take it away. Yeah, listen, it's almost emotional for me. It's been a hell of a ride, quite the journey, like the lowest of lows and the highest of highs to give credit to the staff. And this is something Mike Daly's done for two decades. Like what Dale's did, you know, better than anybody in D3 at Tufts was like, he always seemed to play his best ball in May. The team always seemed to peak at the right time. And we haven't really seen that yet at Brown until now. Nobody. And I mean, nobody, when you turn on the UMass film after that three game slide thought that this team could go through the gauntlet of at Penn Yale at home at Cornell and go three and zero. I mean, that is just big boy bully ball. And also the way they did it was just really impressive. Um, I'm just so excited for these kids and the staff. You know, it, it, it is going to be a madhouse. Hard to put into words what this scene's going to look like. One of the things about playing at some of these blue bloods, you almost take it for granted as a fan. Every game feels big. When you play at a place like Brown and the capacity is 3,500 at Stevenson Penn since, I mean, it's going to be a Woodstock type environment. Like kids are going to be climbing over the fences. Um, you know, this stadium has not seen that type of energy since 2016. I'm just really happy that these guys get to experience it. Starting the league 0-2, losing a heartbreaker to our rival Harvard, and then getting blown out by Princeton. Who could have guessed that they'd be hosting and in a position to win a game on Friday night at home in front of their own fans to probably guarantee that they host a top-six seed uh, playoff game in the NCAA tournament? I mean, it's just incredibly exciting. I'm so happy for them, and um, I, I can't wait to be a part of it. It is a who's who of degenerates from Brown alumni who are making the trip. Like we, Andy Towers is, is leading the pregame. Like it is the roster of guys that we have assembling at the parking lot at 5 PM sharp is stunning. Like it would, it would make any bachelor party proud. Um, and to get into the matchup a little bit out of respect for it, because I actually think it'll be really fun for even a casual lacrosse fan who's uninterested in my biases. These are two very similar groups. And let let me kind of unpack that a little bit. Neither of them are south-north, X-dodging, initiating heavy offenses. They are big boy, downhill, old school. Sam Hanley is going to start every other possession for Penn. Ryan Oghaven is going to start every other possession for Brown. We are going to attack poles. We are going to test short stick deep midfielders. We are going to put a ton of pressure on your backfill and your pop and your rotate all the different things that make it fun to play 6v6 defense. That is exactly what this matchup will test both sides of the rock. It's just going to be incredibly fun. Like Ryan Aughaven is playing as good as anyone in the country. BJ Farrar is one of the best LSMs I've ever seen on film in terms of feet and his ability to pivot. He is that good. Like if you love lacrosse, watch that matchup. Adrian Enschel is a name not many people know. He's one of the strongest dudes in the country. What is Sam Hanley really good at? He's just bigger than everybody. There's a reason Enschel can hang in there. He's just a freak of an athlete. And our short stick D mids are phenomenal. Trevor Ebo, Cody, George Pike, Grayson Wolfram, all these kids have been busting their ass. And I'm just so excited to watch. People are going to be shooting the shit out of the rock. It's high and heavy. It's people's goalie versus Birkinshaw. I mean, this is why you play, man. 830 under the lights, whole world watching. Can't wait. Real quick, dudes, before you jump in, since I already had weather.com pulled up, a uh, little weather report for this game going to be 65 in Providence, maybe, <laughs> maybe a little cloudy, but that right there, that sounds to me like Andy towers tarp off at the pregame tailgate. And that's got to give Brown an automatic two and a half goal edge. I mean, the tailgate is going to be stunning, boys. that's the thing about Brown state. Like when we're up, we rally hard. The, the chirp would be we're seasonal when we're down. Like we're not as consistent. I'm there, but other guys aren't. 
like this, I'm telling you, this Amtrak that's leaving two o'clock from New York, it is literally packed to the gills with degenerates. I've been on that two. I've been on that two p.m. Amtrak. I know exactly which one you're talking about. That's hilarious. But no, yeah, it's no, be I, amazing. I know Augie. I'm friends. My roommate in college is friends with uh, Augie, Augaven, and uh, I'm not friends, cousins. So I know the whole entire family's gone up there. I've heard all about the tailgate. He was trying to convince me, recruit me to go up. I was like, this is not my time to steal shine or not steal shine, be a part of something that I wasn't a part of all year. So it sounds like it's going to be fucking wild. I don't know how anybody with a brain can look at this matchup and not take Brown with the ball that they're playing. And I think that this is obviously going to be a close one. But like, if you look at Penn's losses, I think that we broke it down last week. It's like their eight losses are all by two goals. Their six losses are by like one. So I like Brown to win this one. My I have two Garden City guys on this team. Uh, Augie's one of my best friend's cousins. So like, it's just a really easy rooting interest. And I think that Brown comes home with the Ivy title. I love it. I mean, if you want my prediction, I'm sure we know where I'm going with this. I'll call out one specific position group. I think that the non-pole initiating, so not number 42, not Ryan Oghaven, what Reed Moschietti, Griffin King, Jack Kelly, who's got an incredibly bright future, um, what they've done over the last month, settling in, decreasing turnovers, gaining leverage, and hitting the appropriate throw forward or money pop rollback to initiate our offense and get us rolling north-south, our entire attack group, has like Canadian influence. Devin McLean, Brian Antonelli, uh, Glavin, they need an inch. If you hedge off them at all, they will make you pay. None of them are great Dodgers. All of them are great finishers. Our midfield group laid their nuts on the line when we were 0-2 in the league, and they said, boys, get on my back. I got you, and, and they've done it. I mean, I went to that Yale game, boys. Andy Shea was stunned when he gave up 20, and we made it look easy. Like, we were filling the net. I think this is a game where we announce ourselves to the national landscape. I think Penn's been playing good, not great. I, I think we kind of run away early and they ultimately close late to kind of make it interesting, but I'm, I'm anticipating 17, 15, uh, never really in striking distance. Yeah. I mean, I listen, I'm not going to be the guy who picks Penn while we have Larkin on here. Yeah, you one, are. Because, one, because I, I don't, don't want to lose him as, as, as a pal. So I'm not going to do it. Put the pen away. You don't have to mark me down on the list. I'm not going to do it. What I am going to say is this game is going to be amazing because, you know, you roll back to what Brown needed in that first game against Penn. They needed a get right game. Penn, you know, they're coming off of four wins in a row. Nothing really that, that stood out as a, okay, like this is a team that that's really getting themselves back on track, right? Like they, they went through their slump, like most of the, of these teams in the Ivy have done at some point this season, right? They lost three out of four games uh, and, and things were looking a little rough for Penn after getting off to such a hot start. So they lose three out of four, they've come back and, and now they've, they've won four in a row, but none of them have been in like commanding fashion. Also like a, a win against Albany, a, at this point in, in Albany's trajectory as a program, it eh, doesn't really do much for me. Um, you know, good, good gutsy win against St. Joe's, but like this is right now. Cause no matter what, like Penn's going to be in the tournament. Um, totally. Just Penn's a really good up. group. No question. So, so they're, they're going to be in the tournament, but they, they are now in need of a really good win to get them going the right way before they get into the NCAA tournament. So kind of the same thing that Brown needed the first time around, like that's, that's now Penn a little bit, you know, maybe their backs aren't totally up against the wall. Like Brown was back then, but like still like their tails are like a little tucked between their legs. Now who knows they, they let the legs open and that tail comes around and, and it whips Brown a little bit. I'm not, 
I'm not going to say it. I, I still am going to go with Brown. I'll, I'll put my, uh, I'll, I'll put all of my, uh, no, I mean, listen, on, on, on the has, line there, yeah. but I think that this is a game that is going to be, uh, it, it's going to be back and forth the whole time. And I do think that Penn, uh, probably out of anyone in the nation, the best battle tested in, in tight games, like year after year, because they just refuse to ever get shit pumped and they refuse to ever just curb stomp anybody. Yeah. They have, listen, to give them credit, they have all the ingredients. Like they have the best player on the field, pound for pound, and Sam Hanley. Like he could just go off. He could, he could do things that are superhuman and kind of stretch the imagination, even if we're playing perfect structured defense. They also, to your point, are incredibly battle-tested. They have like a top five strength of schedule every year. Every kid in that lineup has played all the big boys consistently. They're not going to be scared by the environment. Um, and to a degree, there's a pressure when you host. There's a squeeze the stick and want to put on for the local fans. And I get all that. Like, if I'm taking off my home- homework app, I could easily see people thinking coin flip. I could easily see people making the other argument. I just, having been on the road with this group, feeling the mojo, the karma, the momentum, I literally just think there's a swagger in that locker room right now, having made it through that Ivy gauntlet, that I just don't anticipate this train not rolling on Friday um, and, and really just filling that net. So I'm, I'm rolling with the Bruno. If right, I well, that's, nice that's, that's enough of a sell for me. I'm in. If I have to say something nice about you, Penn, I also think Shipley, if, if it does come down to a game and you, Penn, pulls it out, it's going to be a James Shipley game winner. Like, yeah, he's a, he's a swagger hound. Anyone who yeah. has like two OT winners in two months is yeah. cool with me. It is, it is, it is, uh, I will say interesting if you look at Penn's schedule that they have three one goal wins against Penn State, Nova, and St. Joe's. They're wins, so they count. But, you know, if they just go the other way, what are people saying about Penn? But again, oh. we, the 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 Philly rivalries, you, you can't. Yeah, you said so, this though before St. Joe's. You didn't. You said that wouldn't be like Villanova. No, nah, I'm I'm just saying. No, <laughs> I, I think that that's even. St. Joe's is a great team this year. I think that they're they are. they're they're going to be a scary team to have to go up against in the tournament, uh, especially when you have to go up against Zach Cole in the faceoff act. So you're not going to be getting a ton of extra possessions in that one. So let's just. Listen, uh, uh, a Philly school getting out of another Philly school with with a one goal win that's that's big time. Um, but yeah, so I mean that right there, that's the Ivy League semifinals that gets going on Friday at six p.m. and then you've got eight thirty with Brown and Penn. Uh, real quick, we're we're just gonna go through the rest of these uh, conference uh, semifinals. I, I know that uh, you know a decent amount of these teams might not have been able to, to watch or catch a, you know, a lot of their games. So might not know a ton about everybody playing this weekend, but still a huge weekend for everybody around the nation. Uh, so things get going this afternoon. So Thursday at 1 PM, St. Joe's hosting the NEC uh, tournament, and they will be taking on LIU. Uh, so earlier in the season, St. Joe's beat Long Island, 14 to 10 uh, hosting the tournament, playing, playing really good. They've got Zach Cole um, every single week on Instagram. They come out with like another just absurd finish. Um, like just some of the silkiest goals that I've seen in college lacrosse so far this year. Um, downright disrespectful what they're doing to some of these NEC opponents. So uh, St. Joe's LIU in the first game of the NEC semifinals. You guys got to pick on this one. Simply. Yeah, I think Joe's role. I mean, I, actually, well, hold up. This could. This is a big. This is a big matchup, though. Here, just personally, with with Philly and Long Island. So, the, no, the, the, I mean, this is this is everything for Long Island. But I, and this is this is everything to us. But this isn't Long Island's team. I like CW Post 
It was never they, they changed from CWB Post to LIU. This is a Long Island team. Hofstra's not in it this year. Um, no, but I, it's Joe's rules. Joe's is, Joe's is legit. Um, say something. Like say something nice. LIU has sick colors. Oh, I'll say something nice about really LIU. good, like summer summer ball colors. Uh, their goalie was tried to be a barstool athlete and told me all his accolades at LIU last year, and he seemed to be a really good goaltender. So I think that he's probably pretty good. Let me say briefly on all of these conferences that are non like at large consideration, there is just a different energy when it's everyone. It's literally like you win the bid or you're all packing up, like cleaning out your locker. Right. Like, the, so when the NEC, the SOCON, CAA, like mass media doesn't talk about them enough. Like if you're local, go out and support, go watch, like it'll be high intensity lacrosse. It would be bullshit if say like, it's going to be bullshit, but like if St. Joe's didn't get into the tournament, it would be, it should be a war crime. Because I well, think Mike Pressler's the guy to do it, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's a team also. Like, th- throw away the records. Like, Bryant is probably has the best chance to get them, but I think St. Joe's is playing too well. This is also – this. I don't know if this will – but that was when I got in. That's when I bought in, like, okay, Brown is legit. Is that, that that was the game. because The like, Tuesday is, trap game when Brown that, rolled. Correct. Exactly. That's that, the was, thesis, that is the thesis of my argument, followed, um, followed closely by the people's goal. Quick, quick update here. Uh, Dickinson just scored to make it 13 to 12 with a minute 30 left. So I'm coming dangerously close to, <laughs> to Cornell bandwagon, yep. Cornell bandwagon. Uh, so we'll keep you updated in, in the next minute here. Uh, the other game in that NEC semifinal. So it will be Mike Pressler's Bryant uh, taking on Hobart. And that was a 14 to 11 win for Bryant earlier in the season. Um, listen, I, I always think that they're one of the, uh, the, the ugliest teams to watch just as far as, as their uniform setup goes. I feel like there are a lot of guys who wear black socks, black cleats, not a huge fan of that look. Uh, but you can't, you can't knock Bryant on the, their success that they've had in May as a mid-major uh, program. So uh, I'm, I'm definitely going Brian on this one. Who do you guys got? Different energy in the, in the season blacks battle tested they in big games i like bryant yeah um I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bryant guy especially in may pressler guy and i've been talking about mark or work hey i i thought that i think bryant has actually underwhelmed this year i thought they returned basically everyone from last year their team that gave virginia the national champs a scare in like round one so bryant didn't play their best ball but I'm not going to count them out. I, I I agree. I think they could they could be the spoiler in that conference. All right. Well, that is uh that that'll take us over to the A Sun. They get things going at 2 p.m. You've got Utah taking on Bellarmine. Uh, tight matchup in uh, er, earlier in the season as Utah took home a 12 to 11 win in that one. Uh, playing playing really well right now. I think they've uh, they've racked up six wins in a row to get them uh, to be the number one seed in this tournament. Uh, and then you know Bellarmine. I, I I really don't know. I, the only time I watched Bellarmine this year, um, I think they had they had Jacksonville in the snow. And I think Jacksonville won that game by like 45 goals. So that's, that's about all I've seen out of Bellarmine. So uh, as, as far as the eye test on this one goes, um, rolling with the Utes. Go Utes. Great skiing country. Quickly, a month ago on this podcast, I predicted that the Utah Holman firing would be the first of, of changing landscape and cause across. I think Providence is the second. Providence firing Gabrielli and saying 500 is not good enough in the Big East. 
that's a sign to every other coach in the country that your seat just warmed up. Yeah, that I, I didn't know if we were going to touch on that, but that, that was that was tough. That's like the only school I ever talked to. Guys, lacrosse. This is the this is the whole thing. Money is flooding into this thing, as the Rables do their thing at the PLL, as the boosters poured into the facilities. The expectations are going to get higher and higher, and the six and eight seasons that people smile and wave on aren't going to. It just won't work anymore. Providence is a beautiful facility. They're in a regional hotbed. There's no reason that team can't be decent. I'll, 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 the only thing I'll say about the Providence really quick is just that they, in my opinion, they got fucked so hard by, I think that 2020 was his first real talented group. And then the next year he just lost a bunch of guys for fifth year. He lost Leahy to uh, Notre Dame and just lost a bunch of guys. For, yeah, no, I can listen. I consider him a friend. Like I like him. Yeah. I, I'm just saying that I, I'm just oh, trying yeah. to get out in front of my prediction. Like more and more of this is going to happen and everyone can look back to this. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be interesting. I'd like to see who takes over that program because they, their facilities are very nice. Uh, the second game in the A-Sun semifinals, that'll be 5 p.m. And that'll be Robert Morris taking on Air Force. This was an 11-10 uh, win for Bobby Moe early in the season. They went 17 for 24 at the face-off stripe. Uh, I mean, Robert Morris, always one of those teams where – Listen, I mean, I mean, come at, like not a team that you probably want to find yourself playing against just because they're always so Canadian heavy and it's just like such a, a different brand of lacrosse than, um, than I guess most teams are, are used to playing against. So uh, Bobby Moe taking on Air Force. Who do you guys like in this one? I'm split here. I'm a, you know, I come from a military type family on my dad's side. Uh, so it's hard for me to go against the vets. With that being said, I love the fact that Robert Morris lets the Poles play offense. So it's tough. Like I'm like, I love when the Romo guys on the faceoff literally just run at the net full chaos and shoot. Um, with that being said, I'll go with Air Force. Uh, what else do you have? They, which team has a guy named Eric Swaggerty? Bobby Modas. And also people forget like week one when everyone was like Duke national champs and they were up a bazillion in the first quarter. Bobby Moe fought back hard to make it like, 20 to eight in the first quarter. So the fight there alone has me going Bobby Mo. Yeah. I mean, their, uh, their, their record and, and their, you know, their, uh, their resume, it, nothing on here looks good. Um, but I, I again, I'm, I'm just going to trust the Canadians. Eric Swaggerty. Uh, yeah. I'm going to trust Eric Swaggerty. Three out of their top four scores are from Canada. Uh, the only other guy in that top four, who's not a Canadian, he's from Rochester. So that's basically the same exact thing. Uh, so those guys are going to be playing greasy, getting the ball in the back of the net. I'm um, going with Robert Morris in that one. Uh, the America East. Uh, I, I really don't even want to talk about the America East that much. I, I love uh, Vermont being able to, to turn things around. And, uh, you know, that, that was a team where it, it was tough, tough to see Ian McKay online uh, early on in the season. Didn't really know how to interact with any of his tweets. It, it looked like a, a really, really down year for the Catamounts. Uh, but then, you know, they, they were able to turn things around in a big way. Uh, the first game gets going 4 p.m. It's Binghamton and UM, UMBC. I, I don't, have really a feel for this one. No, no offense to any of those guys. Yeah, Vermont's going to win it both. Vermont. Yeah. Vermont. yeah. The only thing I'll say is 
if Vermont gets slated into the Maryland game in the tourney, I actually think Maryland deserves like an easier first round opponent. Does that make any sense? Like typically the overall one seed gets like kind of like a true cupcake. Vermont, like a lot of people thought at one point were decent. So that's, it's more just fascinating because they're so bad on paper because they obviously went through that really, really tough spell. Um, but now they've won like a ton in a row. And so it, it's more just interesting, but I think Vermont rolls in the American East. They probably win every game by 10. I will say Maryland played Vermont last year in the first round too. And people were, were like upset alert and Maryland was like, go fuck yourself. We're yeah, gonna no, I, yeah. By the way, I'm not saying upset alert. I think Maryland. No, no, no. I'm just saying like, just they deserve like a Quinnipiac. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they, they've yes. earned that with yes. the way that they've played this year. And it's that team's like more talented than, I, yeah. I thought you were going to go with the Bonnies route, where I actually thought you think that they'd get fucked more if they got Bonnies. Because well, Brett it's going to be the it's going to be the plan. It's going to be whoever wins, right? But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. All right, but yeah, I mean, they they start off the year two and six, and then they've just racked up uh, seven wins in a row. So Vermont all the way. Uh, yeah, the, we we just mentioned the Bonnies in that one. Uh, the MAAC tournament don't really have a feel for that one other than Brett Dobson. Brett Dobson. Um, so so we've got. St. Bonnie's all the way in that one. Uh, Bonnie's Gil Connors, their D coordinator is a dear friend of mine. We'll be at my wedding. um, The CAA, uh, the the only thing that really, I think perks up to me on this one. So Drexel is hosting the tournament. They're the four seeds. So they play against Delaware at 4 PM. Um, That was a tight game in in the first go around. That was a 16 to 15 win for Delaware. Uh, Ty Kurtz had eight goals for Delaware in that one. So, I mean, I think, you're hosting the tournament as the four seed. So it's going to be like pretty weird. Like you're going to have to show up to your home field in an away Jersey. Um, so I think that, you know, I, as far as that tournament goes, like, I think, you know, I, I think that Delaware has a, has a chance to shake things around in, in that tournament. Yeah. I mean, and we, I can just, this will be my statement on both games. The CAA is like the classic throw the seeds out and just like whoever gets hot, it's going to be tough, like physical, seven to six like ot games it's gonna like rain whatever the weather report says um you know i'm steve steve boyle is my old coordinator so i'll roll with drexel just because he's my guy but uh honestly the best thing that could happen to brown would be umass wins it just for our math um but my honest prediction is just like tight games can go either direction probably delaware is the most talented team in it but I, i honestly don't know yeah, I'm going. I'm going Delaware. I think Owen Grant, the defender, is probably a future PLL player. I think people are going to be craving him next year. Yeah, he's very and, good. Yeah, and then I, I've always liked Mike Robinson and JP Ward's game. So, uh, especially Mike Robinson. So, yeah, I, I'll, I'll go with the Blue Hens. All That's right. Long Island uh, University. Yeah, I mean that 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 was probably just a little bit of Philly bias, but I'm never never going to turn that off. Uh, the SoCon. Um, it, I mean, Jacksonville spanked the shit out of VMI. That's a 5 p.m. game. That's probably going to happen the second go around. Uh, I will say the Richmond high point game, the the thing that's interesting here. So Richmond spanked high point uh, earlier in the season. That was a 15 to six win. But like like uh, Larkin said, like in these mid majors, right? Like you have to win your conference or you're going home. So right now, like this could be. The, the last time that Asher Nolting ever puts on that high point uniform, I think that, you know, season on the line, you put the ball on his stick, anything can happen. Um, so I, I do think that that Richmond high point game could be pretty interesting. Um, if, if Asher says like, you know, I, I still got at least one more game to wear in this one. 
Totally. I'm really excited to watch both of these games, the semi and then the, ultimately the final against Jacksonville. Um, three teams that probably don't deserve the position they're in, in the sense of like, you got to win to be in, but you play the schedule you're given and none of them mathematically deserve at large consideration. Um, one additional point to consider here, if high point rolls and beats Richmond and Jacksonville, that sinks the math on the ACC equation for at large selection because Jacksonville will beat Duke. So, and, and Richmond. And Richmond yeah. So for everyone who loves the ACC, you are not rooting for the Panthers. If you're the other direction and you want Ohio State or somebody else on the bubble to get in, you're an Asher Knowlton stand. Yeah, I, I, I think I think Richmond, uh, you know what fins up. But I think Richmond probably wins the SoCon. Yeah, I do too. I, yeah. I think I think the actual like smart bet based on recent film is Richmond. Yeah, I think I think Richmond's playing good ball, and I honestly heading into the tournament, who knows? They could pull up, pull off an upset or two. I think where Jacksonville, it's just like bad luck almost. They were super tested early in the season, and then the reality of like playing in the SoCon is you have cupcakes at yeah. some point in your league schedule, and that's almost just like bad luck that they were backloaded with them. So they're just not as battle tested. You know, they're just they're kind of on a different tempo and cadence right now. Um, so, and if you look at the SoCon, their SoCon schedule. Their SoCon schedule was front loaded where they that's had what I, that's what I mean. Oh, oh, I thought you were saying the beginning the of the entire year. thing was just yes, front. yes, yes, yes. So it's like they literally played like Mercer and BMI like a couple weeks ago. It's just not any way to prepare for the tournament. Yeah. Nope. Uh, but just just for everyone to remember out there, Jacksonville is a lacrosse school, so you can head on over to store.barstoolsports.com and grab yourself a lac school shirt. Uh, fins up. Uh, I, I got to roll with Jacksonville on that one. I, I know that it, it has been a thing in years past where, you know, the hot team in the SoCon uh, who knocks off a couple of ACC teams ends up, uh, you know, they're, they're now able to, to finish it out and win their conference and get into the tournament. I think that maybe, maybe that uh, changes this year. Uh, the, the big 10 semifinals, um, obviously, games that everyone's going to be watching. Uh, I know that we've, we've been, and by we, I mean, at least Dukes and myself, Larkin, I, I don't know where you are with the big 10, but we've been pretty down on it, but uh, five 30, we've got Maryland taking on Hopkins. Listen, if, if Hopkins even gathers themselves up enough to put all the equipment on the bus, hop on the bus, make that trip over to college park, and like show up for the game. I think that that's a win in itself for Hopkins. I think that that's a game where uh, Milliman gets the boys in the locker room and he says, listen, guys, let's just go out there, have some fun. Uh, this is probably the last time we're all going to be playing together as a group. So just enjoy it, um, which is not necessarily a, a pregame conversation you want to be having, but that's, I, 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 I don't know. Yeah. I almost think he's coaching for his job just with respect to like, he's got to show life. Like he has to, the team needs to just like fight. Like, honestly, if they go out there and just start like punching people, that, that would be like a win. Like, I don't think the Johns Hopkins alumni base can take two shellackings of the degree that the first one was in three weeks. So I, my expectation is going to be like a dog fight with respect to like Hopkins has to respond and can they beat Maryland? Hell no. Will Maryland win? Of course. I think it'll be a little tighter just in the sense of like, Maybe Maryland will shoot a little poorly or whatever. Um, 2010. But yeah, but, but to you guys point, like hop's got to show some life, man. I mean, just to build, like to keep to for recruiting and for everything that hop cares about in this world. Um, they got to show up. I've, I've 
I don't even know if there's Hopkins listeners still because we just shit on them week in, week out. But I will say that it, I think it will be a shit pumping to the nth degree again. I think that they did it already at Homewood. I actually ranked uh, Maryland at Homewood as the number one team in the country. I think Maryland playing Hopkins at College Park will probably get bumped to number one next week. Milliman, it will get fired. That was my take. I think that you, you can't send a message especially as you talk about Gabrielli and Utah firing home and how this was set off. Like you can't 500 is not okay. If you're Hopkins, you're not fighting for your season or you're not fighting for like your job. You're fighting for your program at this point. I genuinely think that, that their program, if they have Milliman for one, maybe even next year, if they go below 500, they need someone to come in that has Hopkins roots and to lift the program back up. They need someone that's going to connect with the players and rejuvenate the program. So yeah. I, I'm calling for Milliman's job. I think there's a couple things. One, the AD is the one who hired him. She got the Hopkins job, and her first coaching hire was him. I think he'll get another year. Like I've said in the past, like I consider John Grant Jr. a friend. I hope that they get it going. So I, I, my prediction is that he gets one more season, but next season is like a show-me year. It's a true contract year. Um, if not, they're going to circle the wagons, put up a ton of money, and go try and get a big boy. Who do you think they would get? Like who do you think who do you think fixes Hopkins? We've the talked the issue is that we already know this is the thing. What the last search tells us, because remember he was not their first choice, is that the top five coaches, top ten coaches, look at that as a lose lose job. You have the weight of the world on your shoulders. Here's an example: Nebraska football. I'm a diehard fan. It's unfair at fan expectation based on reality. Hopkins is now that Hopkins roster is not as good as Virginia and Maryland but the fan base expects you to win like Virginia and Maryland in year one. So like blame whoever you want, but I don't think like an Andy Shea or whoever is going to take that gig unless the money is just flat out insane. So there's two options in my mind. One is you go with another kind of like up and coming young kind of like risky type coach. I don't think that'll appease the fan base option two, you back up the brink truck, you go get somebody who's established and you give him a, you know, 10-year ten ten year type contract. You don't think they get they would try to get Galloway now before someone else does? I don't think Galloway would. I honestly, I mean this, I don't know if Galloway would take that job. Like, this is the thing about Hopkins. So job. sick. That's so sick. If, this is what people need to understand. It's a really challenging job because they literally expect you to go 12 and 3. And they are currently like a four games below 500 group. And – Let's take Gary Gate as an example. He's going to get a long leash because he's the he's the, the godfather of lacrosse. He's the Scott Frost in Nebraska. He's getting leash. He gets more time because he's the golden boy. Like if you're some random brother who played it wherever and you're going to hop, I mean, you might be made the martyr. You might be sent to slaughter, right? So if you're Jacksonville and you're making good money and they're building new facilities and you get to play in the SoCon and go 12 and two and take your wife to the beach and live the dream and like fish, do you want to go live in Balti and get shellacked by John Tillman twice a year? I don't know. I just don't, don't know. know. Crab and cakes. Have to, and have to listen to the band. No, I, I think that Hopkins is in for uh, for a few really, really, really dark years. And then uh, then 99 comes around to save. Yeah, you know, I think save the two day. names to look at, obviously, are Harrison and Rabel. And then what they would do, obviously, is they would be like CEO type coaches and they would go get really qualified coordinators and pay the coordinators like head coach type money. Yeah. You don't think any shot Benson? I think, 
I mean, he is obviously doing a hell of a job, but I, I think there's bad blood both directions for how it ended there with Petro. Um, and by the way, like I said, I no, I think Millman's getting another year, and I hope they turn it around. Uh, the second game in that Big Ten semifinal is going to be Rutgers and Ohio State. Um, got got a gripe with both of these teams, but uh, earlier in the season, these two teams met. It was a it was a Sunday afternoon uh, in in Rutgers, and it was an eighteen to seven win for the Scarlet Knights. Uh, you know, a score that looks pretty big, but again, like this, uh, you know, th- this this game was. I don't, I don't know. It, I think it looked a whole lot worse than it actually was. Uh, Ohio state got out to an early lead. Rutgers was, you know, kind of just pissing the ball away every possession. Uh, but then they came out and they uh, got on top of that win uh, Rutgers and Ohio state. One of these teams has to lose. And I think one of these teams, uh, whoever loses, you, you can't put them in the tournament. So who do you see being left out? I think Ohio state, recovers from this the first go around and i think that they beat them 12 to 10 i think i think Rutgers falls in the rankings they still get in but they go on the road i think they go to princeton in the first round that's my prediction ohio state beats Rutgers. Rutgers travels to princeton yeah i have ohio state by 10 Rutgers missing the tournament all right love it um Oh, and but and then uh, Patriot League also gets going on Friday. So you've got uh, Lehigh. Uh, they hate the troops. They took down Navy in the quarterfinals. Uh, pretty un-American of them, but that was a win that they needed to have. Uh, you know, pretty pretty solid performance out of Lehigh. They get to uh, go up against number one seed BU. Uh, they lost to Boston just a couple weeks ago in the dying moments of that game. It was a nine, eight decision. Uh, and then we've also got army taking on Loyola and army won that game uh, earlier in the season, 14 to 12. Who do you guys like advancing to the Patriot league championship? Those games are Friday at 4 PM and then 7 PM. I like Army just because of Nick turn. I don't think Loyola can score with them. I think Army 15-12. And for similar reasons, I like BU over Lehigh. Lehigh's scrappy. They win a lot of draws, but they just don't have the guys to gain and initiate leverage on the BU polls. I don't think Lehigh can score in a track race. So I, I think BU uh, rolls away from it. And then I think BU Army obviously play, uh, play later that weekend for, for the chance to go on the road in round one. Yeah, I like I like BU beating Lehigh. Uh, I like Loyola to beat Army just because I think that would help my Rutgers missing the tournament case. But I do think that if Army beats Loyola, that Army wins the Patlax. Yeah, and whoever wins Patlax, very, very likely a way seed for one of the Ivy League teams that gets in because of travel considerations. So for Brown, for Princeton, for Penn, for Yale, very, very likely you see either BU or Army in round one. Give us, give us an army Cornell rematch. I, I would not, uh, not be opposed to that one. Um, all right. So those are your, uh, conference tournament semifinals. Uh, the, everything wraps up this weekend. Uh, so on Saturday, we've got the SoCon championship. That'll be at noon on ESPN plus, uh, also at noon on ESPN. You, you've got the America East championship, a sun. They play 2 PM on Saturday. That'll be on ESPN plus CAA 2 PM on lack sports network, uh, 
Okay. Uh, Big East Championship. That'll be 4.30 p.m. CBS Sports Network. So get yourself to a bar and watch uh, all the tomfoolery that's involved there with some with some bid thievery. Uh, we've got the Big Ten Championship which is just a formality for Maryland. That'll be 8 p.m. on the Big Ten Network. Uh, and then everything wraps up on Sunday. We've got both games at noon with the Patriot League on CBS Sports Network and the Ivy League as Brown looks to win the Ivy League Championship at noon on ESPNU. Before we get out of here, the final game, just a real quick prediction, uh, Duke and Notre Dame, basically a tournament game. So who is advancing into May and whose season is over? Uh, Duke's? Notre Dame by five plus. Um, that's really all I have to say. Pack half. Liam Entman's the best goalie in the nation. Uh, as you might see in the goalie challenge next week, Will Perry confirmed that. Um, but yeah, I like. I, you guys know I love Notre Dame. Notre Dame by five. Yeah, I think it'll be a hell of a lacrosse game. I can't wait to watch. But uh, I think it's tied late. I think Entman makes a big save potentially, and then I think timeout. We have Kavanaugh to Kavanaugh ice in your veins. A recreation of one of Matt's famous goals. Celebration will be unreal and. Notre Dame will be the toughest draw for a home team uh, in the NCAA tournament. No question about it. No one wants them. I want an overtime game. I want Notre Dame to win in overtime. And then I want coach Ryder Garnsey to run out into the field and dead fish Sally. Um, all right. And that wraps up this. Uh, I mean, the last weekend before the actual tournament gets going, unbelievable slate of games that we have going starting today uh, all the way through Sunday. Uh, Larkin, thank you again for hopping on as always. Make sure that you guys are following him on Twitter and Instagram at L Kemp 42. Uh, make sure that you're following us on our socials. We are at the crease dive on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure that you guys are subscribing to the YouTube channel. We've got a goalie challenge between Dukes and Will Perry coming out later, uh, as well as all these podcasts coming up on YouTube. Uh, and in the meantime, we'll be keeping it low to high to the day we die. We out. Similar to the thriller in Manila Honeys call me bigger, the condom filler Whether it's stiff tongue or stiff dick Biggie squeeze it to make shit fit Now check this shit, I got the pack of rough riders In the back of the Pathfinder You know the epilogue by James Todd Smith, I get swift with the lyrical gift Hit you with the dick, make your kidney shift Here we go, here we go But I'm not domino I got the phone flow to make your drawers drop slow So recognize the dick size in these Carcanai jeans, I wear 13's Know what I mean? I fuck around and hit you with the Hennessy dick, mess around and go blind, don't get to see shit. The next batter, here to shatter, your blatter, it doesn't matter. Skinny or fat or light skin, the black baby, I drop these. Boniqua mommy, screaming, I poppy. I love it when they call me Big Pop, but I only smoke blunts if they won't prop. But look, I got ya. Caught up with the drunk flow, fuck Taekwondo, I told a fofo For niggas getting mad cause they bitch chose me A big black motherfucker with G, you see All I do is separate the game from the truth Big bang boots from the Bronx to Bolivia Getting physical like Olivia Luke Tricks up my click dick all day with no trivia So give me a hoe, a bank roll and a bag of weed I'm guaranteed to fuck until I nosebleed Even if they